Down one. below, someone go down below. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go, I'll go. Welcome to the show. This is the MongoDB Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn, your host. Today we're diving into the world of esports tournaments. We're going to speak with a principal software engineer at Battlefy. Battlefy is a platform that manages these esports tournaments. Gaming and the esports industries have exploded. He's burning, he's burning, he's burning. In 2020 alone, there were 2.7 billion gamers worldwide. It's reported that approximately 90% of millennials game religiously. This is an industry that is approaching $200 billion, all during a pandemic. Pretty incredible. Today, our guest Ronald Chen explains his journey and talks about how he's leveraging MongoDB to manage the platform. I hope you enjoy this episode. That's the thing. It's like, it's not that you don't have a fixed schema. You do have a schema. You are modeling your data with, you know, expected fields, otherwise your front end doesn't work, right? But the thing is, the flexibility in which you can define that schema is more, much, much more aligned with the problem you're trying to solve, right? Your domain modeling and all that kind of stuff, then the rigid constraints that the SQL server has put upon you. Lots of times people, they want to model the problem in a certain way, but they can't because the SQL doesn't work that way. Whereas I found with MongoDB is like, I can just very much more easily put a type field onto any particular document and that just works. I don't need to worry about how do I write a migration script for my SQL table to update that column and update that the schema to make that work, right? Ronald, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast. You want to tell us a little bit about Battlefy? Yeah, uh, Battlefy is an online esports platform. We're running the largest esports events right now. For example, Apex Legends Global Series, both the amateur and the pro side is all on Battlefy right now. Oh, fantastic. And and what do the numbers look like? How many people are, are competing? So yeah, for the amateur side, we're, we're probably looking at uh, in the orders of tens of thousands uh, of players. For mm-hmm. the pro side, it's a much smaller, like it's for the pros. So it's a much smaller event. And those are like, I think 16 teams or 32, I forget now. So what's your role at Battlefy? I am the principal developer at Battlefy. So I, I'm responsible for the overall architecture and making sure everybody is uh, up to snuff in terms of all forms of development. Okay. And what does the stack look like at Battlefy? What is the, the code written in? Uh, so Battlefy is a, we use JavaScript throughout. So on the front end, it's React. In the back end, it's Node.js and is running against MongoDB. Okay. And I understand it, it's self-managed MongoDB, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it, it took, uh, we had a journey and we did make it, we are running our own MongoDB instance right now. Mm-hmm. And how long have you been running and maintaining Battlefy? So I joined Battlefy, I think 2013. So it's been about seven, no, wait, that's eight years? No, wait. Fantastic. Well, time must be flying. Do you want to talk a little bit about the, about the journey with MongoDB? Do you know how MongoDB was selected as the database for Battlefy? 
Yeah. So because we were doing full stack with JavaScript, and that was very bleeding edge at the time, like Node.js was like very fresh, very new. And having just one programming language, um, like everybody just could just get really good at was, was something that was a desire for, you know, building, building new systems. And because JavaScript was selected, MongoDB was a very natural choice. It has a very tight integration with JavaScript and there's no need for like a traditional ORMs, like trans, you know, translating, you know, like SQL tables back down to objects. There was none of that weird stuff in the, uh, in the middle. Yeah. So are you using any ORMs today or ODMs today using Mongoose or anything like that? So initially there was some desire to use Mongoose and all that kind of stuff. But the more we looked into it is like the more it didn't make any sense. Mongoose applied a lot of constraints on kind of how you do modeling the data and accessing the uh, data uh, using the, the Mongo driver. But mm -hmm. at the end, we're like, all this is just like the, it made it different, but not better. <laughs> it, it didn't really <laughs> add any capabilities. And the more we looked at the Mongo driver, the more we were like, this, the Mongo driver is great. It, it already has a really good API. So why we, why would you, why are we adding this extra layer for you know, what reason, right? Yeah. When I talk to developers that are leveraging Mongoose or some other ODM heavily, a lot of times it's because they come from a traditional SQL background or an RDBMS background where they have, they're used to that separate schema. Is SQL or, or relational databases in your background? Uh, yeah, I came, my background, I actually learned Node.js at Battlefy and learned MongoDB as well. My background is actually from Java and SQL systems. Hmm. And yeah, the transition from, you know, thinking about ORMs and object-oriented modeling to JavaScript and MongoDB was very refreshing. The, you know, people have a desire to like, you know, want a fixed schema so they can go figure out, you know, what is in the thing. But it, you can't take that thinking and pull along to MongoDB. Or uh, with MongoDB, you can... You don't have to worry about a fixed schema. If you did so, then it you ruin kind of the advantage the MongoDB is giving you. With MongoDB, you're, you have the flexibility of having these you know, additional fields, optional fields, and you should embrace that part of MongoDB mm -hmm. instead of trying to fight with it and you know, put it back into a, a fixed schema. Yeah, so you're talking about polymorphism. So for folks that are listening that might not be familiar with the, the object document model, in MongoDB, we have collections of documents, whereas in the traditional... SQL world, you have tables with rows and columns. And in the traditional world, in rows and columns, you can't have a different number of columns in a set row. Whereas with MongoDB, documents can have any number of fields and can look very unique, even document to document in the same collection, right? Yeah, that's right. So, it, it, you know, and if you just, the problem is, if you describe that to people who are used to the schema world, it's, they'll be like, well, isn't that just chaos then? You know, how are you going to have any sensible, you know, mechanism to query or update data if it's just going to be all the documents are all, all different all the time. And that's the thing. It's like, it's not that you don't have a fixed schema. You do have a schema. You are modeling your data with, you know, expected fields, otherwise your front end doesn't work, right? But the thing is, the flexibility in which you can define that schema is more, much, much more aligned with the problem you're trying to solve, right? The, your domain modeling and all that kind of stuff, than the rigid constraints that the SQL server has put upon you. Mm -hmm. Lots of the times, people 
they want to model the problem in a certain way, but they can't because the SQL doesn't work that way. Whereas I found with MongoDB is like, I can just very much more easily put a type field onto any particular document and that just works. I don't need to worry about how do I write a migration script for my SQL table to update that column and update that the schema to make that work, right? Yeah. Well, one of the, the complaints that I've heard is that it does become chaos. How have you managed to avoid chaos? Are, are you leveraging some type of schema versioning? So I would say we looked at those before, you know, the JSON schema, and that's sort of kind of what Mongoose is trying to do for you, right? trying to you know bring some, yeah, bring some sort of schema to your data. Mm-hmm. I always found that those systems and those tools were it took too much effort to kind of use those well. And in the end, it's just, it just doesn't, it doesn't communicate well to everybody else on what the actual schema is. So the way I solve this problem is, you know, usually with a picture, <laughs> I, I, I have to draw a picture to say, okay, here's the domain model, you know, here's the user flow. Here's how, you know, here's the bits of data that interacts with this uh, particular collection or whatever. And that's how it solves the problem. And I, I found that like that is that, that I found no better way than to communicate that and, and to maintain that. Unfortunately, it's just yeah, a bunch of pictures. <laughs> right, it is difficult to communicate without pictures. But knowing that the the podcast is audio only, I guess we'll try and walk through it. But so, what has been the challenges you've experienced as you as you develop over time using MongoDB? So one of our biggest challenges was our. Yeah, well, it was to actually keep Mongo up to date. So, you know, we want to make sure that we're on the latest version of Mongo because new features and functionality is added all the time. Mm -hmm. And, but we started, you know, because we started back in 2013, uh, we we, we were one of the early adopters of MongoDB. We were early adopters of single page applications, Node.js and MongoDB. And we, I think we were at like Mongo version two at the time. Mm. And we kept that long, like Mongo kept on releasing new versions and we just kept on upgrading the database and that was totally fine. And in fact, I really like how there is a separation between the driver and the uh, MongoDB server. And there's a like, there's a basically a compatibility list with the, with the client driver, which is mm-hmm. compatible for more than just the one server, right? Because it, it, it's a little bit difficult to explain, but you need to have that kind of overlap between compatibility of the client across many servers in order for you to be able to upgrade things at all. Otherwise, you mm-hmm. end up with a kind of a chicken egg problem of, you know, how do I update my clients and my server? Do I have to update them at the same time, right? Whereas the MongoDB has set that up really uh, in a nice way that you can update the client independently or the server independently. You don't have to do the both at the same time. Mm, yeah. So we were we made it all the way to uh, Mongo three point four, MongoDB three point four, but then we kind of kind ran into an issue there where the driver, the most compatible driver was driver two point two, and the driver uh, in order to get to MongoDB three point six, we had to upgrade the driver to Mongo three, but the driver from uh, driver two point two to driver three ended up having a breaking API change, which is, you know, which is reasonable. You're making a major revision change, right? That's allowed. But that required a bunch of rewriting of 
all our uh, fine queries to use this new projection option in the in, in the fine queries, and that was a lot of code. So we we avoided that problem by just not upgrading our database <laughs> for at least for a bit. But eventually, you know, we kept our eye on MongoDB and we're like, like you know, okay, yeah, three point six, we don't really care. Like, not enough new features, and that. But it wasn't until like Mongo four then we're like, oh man, we really want this Mongo four. Like they added uh, multi document transactions. We actually have a problem that needs that right now. Mm. And so then, so then that became our kind of our reason to uh, make the change. Now, like now we're we basically spun up MongoDB four, and we're able to transition kind of feature by feature from our Mongo 3.4 database to our Mongo 4 database. Mm. Yeah. And how did you migrate the data? So that's a whole different other kind of uh, topic about writing migration scripts. And this is, we just write ad hoc migration scripts depending on the feature, which is like, you know, some, you know, it, that, if you're looking at SQL systems, right, you're, when you think, when you talk about migration scripts, you're talking about schema changes and you often will need a, uh, library or some sort of mechanism to just keep track of that information. Mm. Uh, we found we just didn't need that for MongoDB. If the scheme, like, you know, like with, with SQL systems, if you try to use code that doesn't work with the schema, it'll just crash or just break, right? The query just wouldn't work. Whereas Mongo doesn't have that constraint of, hey, you you must, your schema for each document must be in, in a certain way. So it ends up being... The migration scripts don't need to worry about the schema per se. They care more about the particular feature. And that's what I really like about MongoDB. It allows us to focus around, you know, how are we going to manage the data to solve our problem instead of how are we going to manage the schema to solve the data to solve our problem? Mm -hmm. That's powerful. So today you're up on four, some version of four? Yeah, I forget which version of four. We're, we're, we haven't quite taken the leap to five yet. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. I, I have to ask, I mean, a lot of the the challenges associated with changing the versions of MongoDB go away when you're in a MongoDB Atlas environment. I mean, you can just hit a button and it seamlessly upgrades you. And I know it's not perfect for everybody. It's not the right solution for everybody to be um, on MongoDB Atlas or even in the cloud. I'm curious about your decision to remain in a self-managed mode. Oh, yeah. So... I guess there's a little bit of history on that. We started with Mongo Cloud um, back in the day. It was very convenient. It allowed us to use our own EC2 instances and it managed the replica set for us. And it provided logging. It did the profiling and backups. And that's, it's like, it's a great, very hands-off. It did the, um, it was well-documented with agents and all that kind of stuff. But the thing is, I, I, I like, I appreciate the fact that it didn't try to hide the replicate from us in that I still need to learn about how to run a production system with MongoDB. It only provided a nicer UI and kind of, you know, dealt with the op, some of the operational side of things. If had it taken away that, tried to take away that responsibility to, you know, hey, we're going to manage the replicate for you. If Mongo Cloud did that. I would. It would have been. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to learn how replicas work, because essentially MongoDB is the database that taught me how to run production systems. It taught me about replicas and shards and all that kind of stuff. And 
and yeah, MongCloud exposed that need for me to understand that kind of stuff. Hmm. Yeah. And so we were on MongoCloud for a bit and due to basically MongoCloud became uh, Mongo Atlas. And during that transition, our Mongo DB at 3.4 wasn't supported. And that was fine because we were like, hey, we know how to run replica sets. We just need to implement certain bits of this automation that MongoCloud is providing for us. And that was not that big a deal. You know, there was, we made that transition by simply turning off the, the Mongo cloud agents and existing servers and processes were, were, were like normal MongoDB processes. And I re also really appreciate that as part of Mongo cloud. It, it didn't try to like, like, Ooh, uh, we're going to make this super slick and sophisticated and like, like hide all this, you know, stuff from you. It's like, no, it's just running on MongoDB server. So. The fact that it was so straightforward of what it was doing in terms of the you know processes and all that stuff, it was very easy for us to take over that responsibility. Mm, yeah. Another feature of MongoDB Atlas is monitoring. I mean, it gives you visibility into how the database is performing. How do you do that today? So uh, yeah, uh, the, the, for the few of the features we need to re-implement re for ourselves, one of them is, yeah, the MongoDB server logs. We just uploaded it to Sumo Logic, which is our cloud logging service. Mm -hmm. So then, yeah, we can then, we actually have a pretty slick implementation where we have a, we have an ongoing query inside Sumo Logic to check for collection scans. Because mm. that will show up, you know, if, if you forgot to put an index and your MongoDB query is too slow, it'll spit out a, a collection scan uh, warning or, and we have a sumo logic to detect that and send that to Slack. So we get, we get annoying Slack messages <laughs> straight into our main de development channel. If somebody forgot to put a, a index and it's usually, you know, it's not site breaking, uh, in that, well, if we had, it, this is typically for new features that we're deploying, you know, it creeps up in, in, you know, slowness in terms of collection scans and we. Uh, can usually catch it before it becomes a real, you know, customer-facing issue. So having it blow up in Slack is great. Yeah, definitely. And I guess I'm tempted to to ask you to explain collection scans again, just for folks that are listening. Maybe talk a little bit about why collection scans are so bad. So yeah, this is how kind of databases works. It's not about again. I'm very appreciative, kind of like how MongoDB taught me about you know, indexes previously, you know, in, in SQL land, like if you dig into the details of, oh, how a SQL table works and like, it's that the data structure is not a table, it's actually a red, black tree. And like, it's all very computer sciencey. Whereas MongoDB <laughs> is like, it's very straightforward. It's like, it, it's just a, a series of documents uh, organized by collections. And if you want to find something, well, what's it going to do? It's going to just, you know, rip through all those documents to, to try to find the, the document that matches your query. And well, if you're, if you have, you know, a million documents in that collection, you're going to be ripping through a million, uh, uh, things that's, that's what a collection scan means. Just run through all the documents until you find the match. Yeah. The cool thing about MongoDB is it exposes like the indexing to you at like more directly. So you are in control of. You know, what is Mongo doing in terms of indexing? And it makes a lot more sense. It's like, oh, okay. So it's like, so I want to add, you know, if you have a bunch of users with a bunch of usernames and I want to be able to find particular users by their username, 
instead of ripping through all the users to find you know the one user that matches the username, I can create an index, basically a giant lookup table to say, hey, or you know, sort all the usernames and put it into this table. And so then now I can use the index to go find my document. And you would just do that by, well, if, it, if I have a giant list of sorted usernames, then I could just do the binary search, right? Hmm. So I, I, I know ex- exactly where to skip to in turn that table and then very quickly find the exact user I want. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And I love that you've got it plugged right into your development Slack. How often does that happen for you? How often are you uh, deploying code that leverages a new search pattern that might potentially encounter a collection scan? So I would say it usually is a new feature where we try to catch these things in terms of, you know, doing pull requests, uh, review time. It's like, it's like, oh, hey, it's nice that you're adding a new collection and, uh, but do you have the indexes for it set up? And mm. often that will include, include as, as a migration script as part of that pull request. The, 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 mm-hmm. the funny thing is because we don't, we, because all these microservices are manually managed, we don't have a um, automated way to know whether that's been applied or not. Uh, so, so often the, the problem with our process right now is it's not that people didn't think about the indexes or wrote the migration script. It was just wasn't applied to production. And so, so it's just, uh, and, and then we, you know, sometime later we start seeing these collection scans and they just reapply it. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. So any advice for folks that are out there running their own MongoDB instances? You've been maintaining this for quite some time. Maybe share some best practices and, and advice for folks doing the same thing. Yeah. If you're running your own replica set, well, you know, first of all, understand the difference between replica sets and sharding. They're, you probably don't need to worry about sharding until you get into a very large database, right? until you run into production issues. Uh, so you, replica sets is the bare minimum for reliability and uptime. So for replica sets, yeah, you know, it has to be a minimum of three nodes or not a minimum. I mean, like the reason why we run a three node replica set is it allows us to make sure that in order for our database to go down, it needs to have a double fault. So, uh, if one of the nodes in a replica set goes down, the two others are still good and our customers are not affected. Mm-hmm. It allows us to do basically take down one node for maintenance or and put it back in without worrying about production going down. Mm-hmm. So that's the one thing you, you need to have a, a replica set at least three nodes, but you also want to, you know, when you are needing a larger production instance, uh, you know, do you add more nodes or do you make each node bigger? And that is usually a, it depends on your use case, but probably you probably want to increase the size, the performance of each box. Adding more replica sets usually just increases reliability, but not performance, unless you are, you know, using very more advanced features like re-preferences and uh, secondary reads. Those things are not typical in terms of, you know, unless you get more sophisticated, the problem you're mostly facing with most Mongo production issues, performance issues, is your computer is just not, you know, the CPU is not fast enough or you don't have enough memory. And those are very easy to fix. You just increase the size of the box and usually most of the performance issues goes away. Yeah. And are you running servers on-prem or are you doing something in the cloud? We're running these on uh, Amazon. They're just e- regular EC2 instances. Okay, great. So you can change the 
the resources associated to each replica set node, right? Yeah, that, that's actually, uh, it's very slick for us in that because we use uh, Elastic Block Store, that's where the actual Mongo data is residing. It means that we can take down we can take down a EC2 instance and actually just change it from to a bigger box and then start it back up. And the yeah, it, it, from the operating systems or from the service point of view, it's like, oh, suddenly I got way more CPU and way more memory, but all the data is there. So it, it and it was it just works. So we've done that several times just to you know increase the size of our boxes. Yeah, fantastic. And I mean, anywhere you can decouple the the disk resource and and even in some cases the CPU resource from the entire you know configuration it's great because then you can act on these individually and then you of course like you had alluded to you get the ability to do rolling changes across the replica set taking one node at a time maybe even upgrading to a different version of MongoDB bringing it back into the replica set and then moving to the next node right yeah absolutely that's actually how We've done Mongo database version upgrades in the past. We would have, we would just yeah spin up a new box as a replica, but it's running the newer version of MongoDB. Just let the replica get, get up to date, and you eventually you just do this one box at a time. Eventually, all the nodes in the replica set are at the new version. Mm-hmm. And there's a few operational things that you can uh, do to make that process faster as well. You don't have to use the replica set mechanism to transfer all the data. There are means to basically clone the data. I forget the exact details, but you can just basically have it start up uh, with the data already and then catch up to the you know the latest bit. So in terms of your server catching up to uh, as a new replica, that can be really quick. It doesn't have to be very slow. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Terrific. And so Ronald, you write about this uh, frequently. I understand you have a blog. Do you want to share some details about where you write about these things? Yeah. Battlefy currently has a blog at blog.battlefy.com. And we talk a lot about these kind of issues with databases. We, I really care about kind of the developer experience in terms of, you know, how, you know, how do we use tools effectively like how do we use mongodb well and that's all about that's all about you know like not it's all about getting your you're getting from your problem that you have more directly mapped to how systems work like mongodb and and it's just like again mongodb has just been so easy to do that mapping and compared to uh, most other systems we've used before. Hmm. So I love what you said about, you know, the developer experience and wanted to talk about the best ways to use the tools available to you. And I know you've written some recent blog articles. What are some of the topics that you're covering most recently on the blog? Uh, Yeah. So some of the more recent posts that I'm really proud of are around the database and around kind of how people work with each other. One of them is, is is actually how people suffer with databases because they're basically trying to fight it. They're trying to. I've seen so many so, so many people ha- are used to a certain set of tools from from a different language, and when they move languages, instead of embracing that new tool or new language on how it works, they try to just pull in all these other previous features, and that ends up you know it, it ends up just adding a lot of complexity and. I would much rather people just embrace the tools as is and use them the best 
best way possible. So mm. in MongoDB case, yeah, this is why I'm not interested in Mongoose, uh, not interested in anything that removes me away from the MongoDB driver. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it is a fantastic driver. I mean, it's really well-maintained. And I'm curious if you're participating in the discussions in the MongoDB community forums, you ever jump in there? The MongoDB forums, I think I have before, but not, not nothing recently. I'm well, where I'm kind of, I'm keeping my eye on in terms of kind of the entire database industry, seeing how, like all, how various databases work. So I follow Jepson, Jepson IO for his analysis. And he does deep dives into, you know, how do databases solve like the consensus problem? You know, how do they implement transactions, all that kind of stuff. But, and what, what I really found was the, the, the funny thing is all the, you know, the really complex consensus problems of like, oh, serializable reads and all that kind of stuff. MongoDB was one of the first to actually like really think about that kind of stuff, I think. It was pretty early in the game. It was like before everything was kind of like well-defined and like, oh, this is what the captain, you know, means. MongoDB was, you know, figuring that out with the replicas implementation. And the funny thing is the, uh, you know, how the replica is implemented now, it looks very much like a modern, modern consensus algorithm like RAF. So I found it kind of funny. It's like, you know, Mongo came before RAF and they they finally kind of formalized what a consensus algorithm looks like. And it's like, oh, it just looks like the one that MongoDB has been using the whole time. It really comes down to Occam's razor. Like if, I mean, it's usually the simplest explanation that, that provides the best solution, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's been a great discussion, Ronald. I want to thank you for your time. What else do you want the listeners to know? Yeah, I want to let people know that Valfi, we're hiring. We... Part of the blog, part of the reason why we're writing this blog is so you can get some insight on how we work and sort of the, the challenges challenges we have as when we're building esports. And we much, very much care about, you know, how we work together at Battlefy. So one of our, one of my blog posts is about basically productivity and how people collaborate. Which, which, which sounds, you know, how is that related to development or, or esports? And, but it very much is part of what Battlefly is. We really care about how we work together and making sure that we're both, you know, being frustrated at the difficulty of the problem and not being frustrated with each other. I love that. It sounds like a great culture. Where would the ideal candidate be positioned? Is it a remote position? So right now, lots of development team is in Vancouver, but that's not a requirement to, to, to work with us. We do have many remote positions, both for development, product, and sales. Oh, great. And you mentioned the stack. You mentioned Node.js. What other components would you like the ideal candidate to have in their toolkit? The primary uh, thing I look for in terms of a new candidate for developers is not actually anything to do with their particular skill set or like, you know, whether they know JavaScript or MongoDB, those things are trainable. What I really focus on is what is their design skill? And design is sounds like a funny thing is like, you know, what does that have to do with development? But the, when people are producing designs, like designers producing a website, you know, how it looks and how it feels and, you know, what's the user experience, that skill set is the same skill set that good developers need, you know, how do you map a particular problem down to code that is design. 
right? Mm. So that is the skill that I, 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 I look, look for. And that is the skill that I find that product managers and designers and developers can all actually teach each other. We can all learn about design and to solve problems. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, so where can we send folks to get more information about the available positions? Yeah, so if you just go to our blog, blog.bafi.com, at the end of every single blog, there's a link um, to our positions. Okay, great. Ronald, thanks once again. This has been a great discussion. Really appreciate you spending time with me. Thank you. This has been fun. Thanks so much to Ronald for joining us today, talking about Battlefy and how they're using MongoDB. If you want to read more about Battlefy and how Ronald is using MongoDB, among other things, visit blog.battlefy.com. If you want to learn MongoDB, the best way to do that is to attend university. You can find more information at university.mongodb.com. There's free courses, certification, read all about it. And of course, join me in the community at community.mongodb.com. I hope to see you there.